Welcome to Your Money Story. I am Dawn Thomas, a mother of three, financial advisor by day and a PhD candidate researching the superannuation experience of Generation Z. This podcast provides a platform for stories which are underrepresented. Everyone's money story is unique. My guests are people who conduct their lives with purpose, authenticity, and are not afraid to be different. They stand out within their industries for being themselves. I hope their journeys inspire you to harness your own gifts and talents. I am a believer in living your truth each day. Let's change how the story ends. In the spirit of reconciliation, I acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. The information discussed in this podcast does not take into account your personal and financial objectives and situation. Before acting on any information discussed here, you should consider its appropriateness, having regard for your objectives, needs and financial position. Welcome, Lacey, to the 2023 International Women's Day episode of Your Money Story. So delighted to be here, Dawn. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I like how you kind of start off calm, but we know that with the topics that will be coming about, the passion will come through very loudly. (laughs) (laughs) So for our listeners, please buckle up and get ready (laughs) to feel a whole lot of emotions um, in, in the course of this episode. In in preparation for today's episode, I actually went back and listened to us last year. The term that you used was not optimistic at that time. Well, it was opportunistic, right? That's sort of what you use as a term. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting to uh, look back at those events as well and assess it and the stuff that has happened Mm -hmm. around that. For our listeners who are not familiar with Lacey, uh, which is a bit of an impossible thing because she's so well known, um, I would suggest listening to the first episode we have with Lacey in season one to get to know her background. And then if you want to have content on how we've built from last year, please listen to the International Women's Day episode in 2022. So Lacey, we're just going to kick it off because there's so much to cover. Okay, it's now 2023. We're going to ask you for your assessment. Do you think that we have advanced, stayed the same or declined? Sadly, I think on average, we've probably gone backwards in some key places. I know we're going to talk a bit about current Mm -hmm. affairs and I think there's been some stuff that's happened worldwide that is really worrying. There are still lots of pockets of wonderfulness though, and I am Mm. seeing some great areas. But the one I guess I come back to when I look at stats, one that's very particular to the area I look at in entrepreneurship, which really signals what's happened during the pandemic and people being more risk averse, is uh, venture capital funding in Australia, for example, Mm. went from 3.8% going to female-founded businesses in FY17 down to 0.7% in FY22. So over five years, we've gone backwards down to one-fifth of the amount of money in VC. So that's a a tiny amount of money going to female-founded businesses and we should have been going forwards with all the work that's been happening. So when I look at data like that and look at some of the current affairs that we've had in this last year, to me, I feel like we have gone a bit further backwards. Maybe it's a pendulum swinging. Maybe the pendulum's come back a bit further. We just got to keep pushing it. Uh, But like I said, there is still some pockets of hope, so I won't be too miserable. Okay. (laughs) Because we're we're not going to lose hope, but we're allowed to be enraged and then use that energy to move ourselves forward. Um, And a point that you made very early on in last year's episode was that it's not a woman's problem to fix. So we are acknowledging that it's International Women's Day is not about how we can do better as women. Mm. It's how we can get the collective spirit of our community together so that we can all advance together. And I think one of the disappointments that you might be referring to is the outcome of Brittany Higgins' trial. What are what are your feelings around that? Yeah, I think most people I, I've spoken to or heard from feel a sense of sadness that we haven't had a resolution there. The fact that the trial won't be going all the way through, that it's mm-hmm. been effectively cancelled, is really sad because, first of all, this this person who has been willing to put herself up to talk about this problem won't get justice, won't get her her resolution 
to say, yes, we believe this happened. But I, I also think this is symptomatic of a bigger problem. And I'm not the expert in this area. I've just done a bit of reading, but uh, it really makes sense to me the way it's been explained. Our legal system is adversarial by nature. And that's how it works because we have to give everybody their fair shot. And in most cases that involve a rape allegation, it's a he said, she said situation mm. because it by definition mostly doesn't happen in front of other people and our system is not designed to cope for it. And that's why I think it's less than 5% of uh, cases that are brought to the police go to prosecution. That's less than 5% of those that go to prosecution that actually successfully find that that the rape occurred. So that's a fraction of a fraction. Mm. So it's a symptom of our legal system that these things don't work anyway. What's happened in terms of the media, I think, is a big deal in this particular case. The media has a lot to answer for, for having allowed certain things to come out that have jeopardised the trial and the way that we've seen Higgins sometimes vilified, um, especially on social media, is just seriously disturbing to me. And it's a signal, again, that, Often we just don't believe women. We mm. don't believe them when they say that and we think, oh, they're doing it for attention. I just cannot see how anyone <laughs> anyone would do that if they didn't have a case because there's just almost no upside in it for them. It's all yes. emotional turmoil. And I think we've heard that story about Higgins feeling suicidal. That, that That's serious. That's what, yes. what these poor women and, and like men that have this happen to them as well, you know, because it's, it's not just women who get raped it's often you know there's there's cases which affect men as well and often that's in um homosexual relationships that the trauma that they have to go through to get any kind of justice is just awful so i hope this triggers us thinking about a different way to go about it you know there are other countries who approach it differently they don't go through the same prosecution system they they use more of a restorative justice process i would really hope we might use this as a signal to maybe introduce a similar process here that's got more chance of seeing more people who are affected by this, more victims, reach resolution and and heal from that trauma. The disappointment with this case that we feel is that it was given so much of attention last year. It was, I think it was the hope, right? Like we went, oh, this is turning a page. This is, they they had their press cup um, speech, both Great Stame and Brittany Higgins. Um, surely, you know, surely we thought things that justice would be served. So I was um, as shocked as probably a lot of women were that mm. something of this high profile with attention, uh, with backing, I don't think that's going to send the right message to women who don't feel very confident about their chances of going prosecution. So, you know, how you said that things are maybe going backwards a bit. I think in this area, that might be the messaging that's going out to people of um, abuse. Mm, um, I agree. I could hear the hope in our in our voices from the last podcast episode. I know, I know. And then that, how do you go? Oh gosh, yeah. how did you stuff that up? Yeah, yeah. Bunch of numpties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's because I, you know, when I kind of reassess where we were at this point and listening to that episode, if only we knew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm kind of glad we did it. Imagine how sad you'd be if you knew that I was know. coming. It's a good thing not to know the future, Dawn. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, another event that was quite significant was Jacinda Ardern stepping down. Um, mm. Now, a lot of this was viewed from many different ways. It was almost as newsworthy as Rihanna at the Super Bowl performing <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to see all the different opinions about it. Now, what what are your thoughts about her stepping down and then the response to her doing mm-hmm. that? So, like everybody, I think I'm very sad to see Jacinda Ardern go. And the yeah. same with uh, Nicola Sturgeon, the First mm-hmm. Minister of Scotland, stepped down shortly after as well. So we've got two really high-profile women leading countries stepping down and having just lost Angela Merkel as well. Mm-hmm. I'm really feeling this general like, oh, no, where are all the amazing women going? No, there were these incredible role models. Yeah. I feel sad that we don't have those role models actively participating right now for, for me to point to my daughter and say, look, honey, you could do this. So I think that I, first of all, feel very sad because she's just been an incredible role model for the combination of strength and empathy, and Mm. we have been lucky to have her. I find what's fascinating about this, and and I haven't gone back and listened to other male uh, prime ministers' resignations, so I don't know if this is common, but both both Jacinda Ardern and Nicola Sturgeon referenced feeling like the tank was empty or like that Mm. they'd run out of energy. Yeah. And and there was this immediate interpretation of that of like, can women have it all? 
you can they cope mm-hmm. and I just I was thinking about it is it you know when I think about Howard clinging on to the prime ministership and not letting Costello take over uh, and those sorts of things that happen is there a male leader trait that's more common that means they hang on <laughs> past their jubite like their, yeah. their, their use by date yeah <laughs> um, and they have to be forced off are they yep. more competitive in that way yes. or do they frame it a different way when they resign? Do they say things like it's time for someone else to take over and don't talk about the coping? I think the fact that these women have mentioned their energy levels and that is reflective of what most leaders must be feeling after yes. a pandemic. They must mm-hmm. all be exhausted. And I love that they've kind of given permission to say that. So I hope if we hear some men stepping down that they say similar things because I don't think it's a uniquely female experience that. So that's the first bit. So that, that's why it's upset me that it's been so framed around women can't have it all and this is just evidence that it's too much for a woman to do that while raising a child, whereas to me the evidence is they do a bloody incredible job mm. <laughs> while they're doing that and it's perfectly natural that they would want to step down after having given so much to that role for so long. So I get a bit frustrated whenever it's it's framed as this is a, a gender thing um, but because of that reason because I think that's not helpful for anyone else. Uh, I see them as just being the first people to be willing to say that. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, and I bet you the rest of them are thinking it. So that's my my sort of take on it. Yeah, I, I similar views as well. Because when I read it, like people were saying, oh, at least it was it was good. They took it as a good thing that she was able to say that, and it was food for thought for maybe other politicians that if they don't have, if you're running out of steam, you need to step down. So that was a good example. But then it did bring up the discussion about whether yeah, women can have it all, mm-hmm. uh, which was that was the bit of the sadder part because it's not about women having it all. Um, I'm sure people look at you, Lacey, and go, oh, how does Lacey have it all? You know, how does she have the kids and do all of that? Uh, because I've asked been asked the same question. I'm just like, I don't think I have it all. Like I think like every day for anyone is about figuring. <laughs> and my answer is always. Yeah, because my husband is at home at the moment and has been for three and a half years. I have yeah. the equivalent of someone helping me, like the housewife. I'm not calling him a housewife, but you know what I mean. That's my answer is like, that's how I do it all <laughs> with yeah. a massive amount of support. Um, but I get what you mean. That yeah. whole, it's it's not about, the definition of all is very loose and everyone yeah. has different priorities. I've always thought um, you just can't have everything at once. You yes. can't do everything at once. Everybody can't do everything at once. You can't be the amazing sports star, the incredible academic, the amazing business person, the fabulous parent, all in the same day, mm. you know? Yes, yes. <laughs> so I agree with you on that. I think it's yeah. that uh, perception of this, oh, well, if they can't cope, and they, they can't have it all. All women are doomed. You can't all have it all. You can't have a family and a career. So yeah. back to it's, the kitchen. You know, the analogy, if you've got a team sport, you know, you've got some of the people that sub out when they're tired and they know they can't give any more because they've given all. But you've got the ones who are clearly suffering on the field. And yeah. They are just like, no, they're not going to sub themselves off, even though you've got <laughs> all these people who are fresh. Just really, you know, I mean, it's like different mentality. Um, Such a good analogy, Dawn. Yeah, we need we need a subsystem. You're tired, mate. Get off. Right. Go in, go hard, do your best, yeah. and sub. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. Sorry, it's just like making me think of you know all the games that I see with the kids in and and um, that we go through. Okay, okay. so next one. Um, oh, this is a really tough one. It's really proving on point that we may have gone backwards. Mm. Uh, so Roe versus Wage. Um, yes, the overturning. Oh, oh, my gosh. That has just been I, I, almost unbelievable. You know, we talk about the Marvel Universe and multiverses, and I'm like, yeah. are we in an alternative timeline? Has this yes. actually happened? Look, the, the thing that I've really struggled with watching in the United States, I've, I lived in the States in 2011, and I loved living there, and okay. that was during Barack Obama um, being the president. And then being back in Australia and watching it play out has just been heart-rending. But one thing that's helped me, Mm. (laughs) I don't know if it's a good thing or not, there's a great uh, YouTube video by Ray Dalio, who's a hedge fund manager who does a bunch of education, and it's called Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. And it describes how the reserve currency of the world changes every 200 to 250 years and he is hypothesizing that the u.s is a society in decline okay and similar to the uk was you know back in the 1800s and the dutch were back in uh the 1600s and that's mm-hmm. when the reserve currency switched over so with my financial hat on of course yes. that's given, given me a lot of comfort but he talks about two metrics one's on productivity and the other one's on how well you treat others mm. and there's a lot of stuff in them there's 25 odd metrics that roll up into those two but it's this how well you treat others. Roe versus Wade to me says we are treating our citizens 
worse than we did before. That's what it says to me. It says it's, and so I'm actually watching this from the outside going, wow, are we watching a society that's about to implode? Is this a beginning of uh, civil war for them or a division into, instead of being the United States, being ununited? Uh, Is that what we're watching? Is this just a factor of, hey, this is part of the changing world order and uh, we're soon going to have a Chinese reserve currency? Is that what's happening? So the uncertainty around that is nerve-wracking. What it has done, though, that's a positive is whenever someone at the moment says to me, oh, haven't we sorted all this stuff thing? There's no problem anymore, blah, blah. I point to them and go, Roe versus Wade. It can happen in the States. It can happen here. Stop getting complacent because I've had a few people who go, oh, but we won't have that here. I'm like, mate, it's it's entirely possible. (laughs) And, look, it's just I would never have been bet that that would have happened. Uh, So uh, that that's one upside from it is being able to say this is a real threat. Mm. And, and it's 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 purely women's health that suffers when that law comes in, and yes. it's women who bear the brunt of it. Yes. So that that just to me signals that the US is yeah is not doing well. It's terrifying. Like the thought of going back to the United States, I would not take my children there. I wouldn't mm. live there again. Seeing mm. something like that, I would or I would pick my states very carefully because obviously there are some states that have just gone. This is ridiculous. But you know, I think about I used to visit Texas a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm, oh, a bit worrying. Um, so so those sorts of things. Uh it's it's a really bad sign, but it's it's also consistent with everything else that's happening in the States. They're really struggling. It's interesting that you say you you read out about the news that's in the US, and my husband does that as well. But I feel like I I don't like I don't want to have to deal with it. That's my coping mechanism. And then I get annoyed when he brings it up to me right in the morning. Cause I always believe that in like my way is that let's start the day positive. <laughs> yeah, don't talk to me like, about that until it's nine o'clock at night, please, hubby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, let's start reading the news straight away about what's happening there. And I'm just like, oh, you know, like I I don't want to deal with that because that's a lot. If that's I think the the thought of is it is it going to get even worse than what it is? Is is something that I just I don't have the energy to think about during the day. But I think it is an important point you make when people think it's not going to happen here. Look, I really hope not. And look, yeah. you've only got to look at our recent election results, the federal election results, to think that that's positive. Yeah. I've only got to look at what's happened to the Liberals, who I just believe have lost their ability to represent women, which is <laughs> awful. You know, yeah. so I feel like it's less of a chance here but it's still a chance. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it can well, happen in the US. <laughs> well, you've now created the very relevant segue into elections uh-huh. <laughs> because this was another point that you were hopeful for mm-hmm. last year in the way that you said, well, oh, I hope the independents win a few seats and we know that it's it's history making what happened last year. How, how do you feel about the way the elections ended? I'm overjoyed. Okay. It's delightful to first of all see so many independent women have got elected. It, it, it's a clear message that so many electorates in Australia have had enough of not being represented properly and with people making choices in policy that don't represent their beliefs. Mm. So I'm delighted to see it happening. And I personally like the idea of more independence and then you debate things on merit. Yep. Not being completely au fait with political processes. I wonder how many compromises are going to be made. So how many things are going to get through because there's one little, you know, I had to get this particular independent on guard. But I I think given that Labor has the majority, it looks like it's positive at the moment. Um, I also, I have to say, look, as a past Liberal voter, I have just been absolutely appalled by the Liberals. And particularly I'll talk about, uh, I know I mentioned it last time, this, uh, this support of men over believing women. So, for example, Mm -hmm. the accusation against Christian Porter, both Scott Morrison and Josh Frydenberg said, he has my full support. This message that we don't believe women or that what that doesn't happen is not serious enough. And I've been looking at Dominic Perrottet in New South Wales and thinking, gee, he's doing a great job. And then the other day they had that minister who shared porn of another person in there. And that man's response, here's where I started to get angry, was... (laughs) was everybody makes mistakes and I was like oh you were so close Dominic you were the one person who was looking at going he actually gets this fundamental thing this we must believe women and and this is not even a case of belief we know it happened yeah 
and he has pardoned that behaviour. Now, I know subsequently there's been more consequences, but to have even come out and said everybody makes mistakes was categorically wrong. Mm. And I'm like, oh, dude, another Liberal bites the dust. When are we going to see some Liberals who take female rights seriously, who believe women, and until then, and look, sitting in Western Australia like you and I both do, it's so bad for us. Yeah, like it is. We have got more leases than liberals in parliament in our state parliament, and the next decade we're going to be uncovering all the things got shepherded through because there weren't enough people to challenge things in opposition. It's not good for us to have a weak opposition, but frankly, the liberals have brought this on themselves. They need a revolution. They need they need to take the female rights stuff seriously, and I just see no evidence that they have turned that corner at all. So, I am happy that Labor is in charge because the liberals, I just don't think, are qualified to represent women, and. I'm delighted to have seen the independence rise because it's really giving, I think, Australian voters faith in this ability to have an influence on the outcome instead of being like, well, who cares who I vote for? It's only ever going to be those two parties and they're both as bad as the other, which I understand. Seeing the independence means, hey, empowerment. So that's my take on it. This is a serious question for you, Lisey. Have you ever thought about politics for yourself? I will not go into politics. You can quote me on that. I have not the tact nor the patience. And more specifically, when people have asked me that before, I've been like, why would I sign up to sit in a room with Scott Morrison? I value my time. My time is my most important resource. Why would I choose to sit in a room with those people? That's my idea of hell. I will happily support other people who run for politics and I'm happy to give opinions, but there's no chance you'll get me in parliament. <laughs> I just wouldn't be able to do it without erupting. I'd okay. be useless. <laughs> no, I don't I don't believe that for one second. But I think <laughs> this is an interesting thing because um, like you said, you're you grew up a liberal voter. And I think this is the first time that you've voted not not liberal, right? Like I I feel like you haven't quite given up. I feel like you feel very passionately about the outcome of that of that party, right? Which I, I see all as good things. Like I, I still feel that you're kind of in their camp in a way that look that you can turn things around. <laughs> you're not there yet yeah absolutely yeah look I think what's happened to me is I've gone from being like liberal is the default which when I was 18 liberal was the default because that's how both my parents voted to I'm going to swing now (laughs) there's just I'm not going to be I'm not going to be one or the other I'm going to take a more active interest in the decisions and the policies that are put forward Mm -hmm. every election I'm just not going to default anymore so they've lost me as a default okay I really feel that they they the some of their theses are very important. They're the capitalist group. They're the you know the freedom group, mm. and we need that to balance out Labor's idealism and uh, you know almost more socialist view of life. Mm. You know, like I, and I yeah. say that when I say capitalist versus socialist, we're talking about Australia. It's very much in the middle. We're not at either extreme, but we need both of them. We need alternating. We need powerful parties playing off each other to hold each other accountable. That's how our system works. And when we Mm. don't have a powerful party in opposition, honestly, the things that are going to come through for the building approvals, Mm. the the rorts that we're going to see and the red tape that got cut because there was no one ready to, to step in and argue these things, like I have no idea how bad they're going to be, but they're they're just going to be bad (laughs) and it's bad for us. So we need at least two good parties fighting against each other to have good government. That's that's how I look at it. Okay, so you're just saying we need some robust political parties going head to head yeah. so you can even the balance okay that's that's exactly right. and it would be nice if it was the greens but they just their <laughs> their heads are in the clouds with a couple of things that are just completely unrealistic some yeah. of their stuff's amazing but some of it you just go you would not let them drive the car with that attitude you'd be like are you drunk mate give me the keys so although i i would love it to be the greens they're just they're not realistic in some areas so it can't be them so we, we're left with the liberal and labor options at the moment <laughs> I'm an outsider, like I said, I'm not, I'm not as passionate about politics as you are. So I love having you on to hear your perspective. Is this observation I, I've had about uh, women who are part of the Labour Party and still are part now, um, the question is, are they going to be able to move into that point of being a prime minister? But also when we talk about intersectionality of, of, of women and diverse groups, Labour had the chance to really move marriage equality forward when they were in power. Penny Wong was there. Um, and I feel like not taking a bold step at that point um, and trying to toe a, a more even line is maybe hurting her chance of being bold about stuff like that. I just, I wanted your perspective on, you know, when women are put in that difficult position of, of power where you've got to kind of make trade-offs and do those things. I mean, specifically for someone like Penny Wong, 
you know, how does something like that impact her ability to now create change from her position of power? So I'm saying this is an armchair expert. I love yeah. looking at the politics, but I wouldn't call myself an, you know, I don't have much knowledge of internal party politics and lots of yeah. stuff apart from what we see in the news. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. Yeah. I think, like I said, Penny Wong is possibly between yeah. uh, Penny Wong and Tanya Plibersek are like two of my like heroines <laughs> in um, in federal politics. They are, and I just mentioned two of them, so there's two in the discussion yeah. for, for the comparison of their attitudes. I think a slow boil is fine for both of them. Okay. I feel like there's no rush. Okay. The fact that they're um that they're they're not leaping to take up the party leadership right now is actually okay mm-hmm. because I feel like they've got a good 10, 15, 20 years ahead of them, plenty of time to be in charge. So okay. I, I'm cool with them being a bit more, you know, less aggressive on it. I think with Penny Wong, she's just so um classically controlled and eloquent and her wit. Oh, I love her yeah. wit. She's I think by not taking the super aggressive stances or maybe the the more progressive stances, it actually brings more credibility to the Labor Party where where they have been seen in the past to be too union-centric, too socialist, too all those sorts of things. So I think it actually plays to the party's favour and it just makes me think of her as a team player, you know. I think she's trying to set Labor up for success and I feel like that's been one of the things that's been quite lovely to observe about Labor. They are still make, they're doing some things that I'm like, oh no, here we go. You know, like they're not perfect by a long stretch, but they seem like a team. And I, I think that that's got to be very deliberate from them because they've had such a poor history of that in the last mm-hmm. two decades. When you think about Rudd and Gillard mm-hmm. and the knifing that went on there, yeah. they have to rebuild that trust. So I wonder if she's taking that back step and being less aggressive in that way to to maintain that sense of team to build faith with the Australian people, which is very strategically intelligent. Okay. Does that answer your question? It does. I mean, the thing is, what you're saying is watch this space because there's a <laughs> uh, there's a longer term plan at play. Because mm-hmm. I think I sort of um, yeah, I do I do like both of them, and I am always hopeful that we have a strong female leader that um, emerges as prime minister. I'm hopeful for that, but I think sometimes you read the comments when when someone is speaking out. I think from a genuine place about what they believe in. Um, I just notice that sometimes people don't forget when you haven't taken action in the past. I think that's more yeah. my observation. Some people that's are forgiving and they mm. see the evolution of how that can happen because it is a complicated thing. Like you said, sometimes mm. it's about being a team player in a party as opposed to going off with your opinion. Mm. Um, so, well, watch the space. Mm, maybe, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> our, maybe our 10th anniversary of this. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it'll be next year. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> that's too optimistic. Um, <laughs> But you make a really good point about when you stay quiet on something, when you could have not stayed quiet on it, that's a deliberate choice. And it is, it's, it, I'm sure people feel disappointment in that when there was an opportunity to speak up, which I totally understand. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that's a valid point as well. Well, in terms of talking about prime ministers, we're talking mm-hmm. about our current prime minister, it was pretty newsworthy that he was the first prime minister to walk in Mardi Gras. Yeah. Um, I was actually surprised um, and that he had actually done, I mean, for him itself, he's always participated, but for it to mm. be the first time, I mean, what are your views on that? Is that significant? Is that a significant thing? I think it's in line with the way the party has behaved. I, I think it's uh, it's a lovely milestone to have reached. And like, there are people from both sides of politics who have participated in Mardi yeah. Gras, but to be the first one, as I understand it, to actually march, yes, I think that's a significant milestone. It sends a sense of solidarity. It says we hear you because, of course, a big part of pride is protest. Yes. And I think that's really powerful and, and it should be celebrated. But I think this, is again, goes back to this treating people well yeah. is a characteristic of what Labor has been doing better than the Liberals have, okay. and that's just another symptom of it, just mm. respecting uh, other people's experience that's not the same of yours instead of saying, well, that's not been my experience like Mr Howard likes to do when he hears about racism, to, to actually show that empathy and to march with them and to show that camaraderie. Um, it's not his personal experience, but he he's, I think that's hugely significant. So it's a really good example for people of, with tolerance and understanding and listening to others. Okay, so that's a that's on the positive. We talk about intersectionality because we, you know, in terms of women's yeah. rights, there are intersectionalities that that go into that as well. So it is important. So, like for me, I I thought well, that was quite 
lovely. Like I was surprised, but I thought that's a, a move in the right direction. Um, yeah. You know, especially to people from the LGBTQ plus community, just um, going through the events of marriage equality debate and seeing a lot of that ugliness to now having your prime minister join in is, I think, a beautiful thing. In terms of the voice uh, to parliament, because being an immigrant, I find sometimes I feel like I'm not entitled to an opinion. I, I don't know where to go. Maybe the education front, because historically I haven't been here since birth, is that I take a more um, of an observation kind of view to what's unfolding around this. And I definitely believe in our first Australians getting the rights that they deserve. From your perspective, you know, what are the important points about the voice to parliament for, for those of us who are not really confident around so the things that stand out for me, and again, I'm not an expert, so if I get anything wrong, my apologies, please correct me, that we are the last country on earth that has First Nations people that aren't recognised in the Constitution. Mm. That's pretty much the thing here, right? Everybody else has done this. We haven't. So for me, similar to gay marriage, this is like, we're going to look back at this in 20 years ago, I can't believe it took us this long. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the first thing I'll say is if we don't, get a yes vote, I'm going to be really sad and disappointed uh, because this seems like a no-brainer to me. I think the arguments that, that where I've gotten stuck is, you know, there are plenty of Aboriginal voices in Parliament this mm. year. You know, we've had a really good result there and we've got a couple who are not happy with the voice. So mm. what I've struggled to do is to to really validate and understand how that fits in mentally. And I don't mean like me validating the arguments. I can't tell from the arguments whether they have good points or not because it's very hard to get a judgment. And part of that's cultural. So, you know, I have a, um, a lady that I follow on LinkedIn who I hugely respect, Jolene Hicks. Oh, yes. And and she wrote a question about what 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 would you like to know? And I was like, I just don't understand how Aboriginal people reach consensus. You know, in our parliament and everything like that, we all vote and the majority vote wins. But it doesn't seem like that with Aboriginal culture. It seems much more discussion-based. It's slower, but you've got to hear all the points of view and it's much more building a consensus. Mm. So when I hear people like Jacinta Price voice up about being against the voice or even, um, you know, Lydia Thorpe uh, against it, I struggle to understand and amalgamate those views because, of course, it's not my experience. I'm trying to be empathetic. So I, yeah. I find it really hard to know whether um, those people have got points that need to be included. But by and large, the overall overwhelming feedback has been it's a positive thing, let's do it. So mm. if they tell me let's do it, I'm for it. You know, if that's what it yeah. takes, let's do it. So I think as a first step in our process of national healing and, you know, as an Australian, like I was born here, but we're all immigrants yeah. somewhere in the background. My, my, you know, ancestors were convicts. <laughs> so I kind of feel like we're all kind of, <laughs> we can't yeah. have a claim on it. What I would really like is to celebrate our nation on a day that's not the 26th of January with a flag that I feel proud of mm. um, and in a way I feel proud of. And I'm, I, I'm hating at the moment the fact that when Australia Day comes around, and my son wants to sew an Australian flag on his bag and I'm like, oh, I just don't think it's right. Yeah. I hate that we're in this tension. I feel like the voice is one chance for us to move forward and actually find something to unite behind and, yes. and come together. So, so it fills me with hope. I got a bit of tension around that whole understanding the, the points of dissension and, and how valid they are and, and how we reach a consensus. Um, but so far I've seen nothing to dissuade me from thinking it's a great idea and we should totally do it. You know, when we're having discussions and and both of us, you know, we are, of course, we're not from the Aboriginal community, but if you think about the majority, the majority in Australia are going to impact, you know, our our original, our original citizens, right, of Australia. I, I feel it's very similar to women's rights is that sometimes it's no point just, you know, women discussing it. We kind of need the people who who are going to make that positive change included in the conversation. So I just want to give that acknowledgement to you, Lacey, that, you've taken the time to actually read up more and understand the points um, because I I'm, I can only assume that you probably get into a few discussions with different people around this. I, I think it's the same as everybody. We're all like, so what do you make of that? What do you yeah. make of this statement that Jacinda Price comes out and goes, no, this is terrible, we shouldn't do it? Or, yeah. uh, you know, someone else goes, if you don't do it, then it's a real thumb in the eye of the Aboriginal people. Or, you know, like this, yeah. this, there's emotion in there, there's there's 
poor acknowledgement of what is fact and what isn't. Yeah. Uh, it is. It's a, it's a time to have a lot of this discussion. I'm glad we've got time to have it. You know, it, mm. it's important that we do have that time to to make our internal peace with ourselves about how we're going to vote. So I think don't shy away from the discussions. And I guess that's I did a course um, with Acknowledge called Acknowledge This last year because I'm nervous mm. about giving acknowledgement of country, but I have to do it a lot. Yes. And in it, the course instructor was like, look, I'm Aboriginal and I offend people. You're going to offend yeah. some people, so you just got to get up and have a go. If you've got good intentions yeah. and you're willing to listen and learn, it's going to be okay. So don't be afraid to engage in the debate. Just, yeah. you know, listen to what you're being told and don't fob people off and talk over the top of them. And I think do what you need to do to understand. Uh, for me, it's just asking lots of different opinions of lots of different people and, and going, I don't get this bit. What does this yes. mean? So the more you can do that, the better you're going to have a chance of voting the way that really aligns with your values. It's hard to ask the questions because you're like, oh my God, you're showing how ignorant you are. I, I've tried the the acknowledgement of country because even I was asking my husband who's in the university space, I'm like, I need I need some wording. I need some guidance. And because I thought it was important for me to put it on my podcast. Yeah, I tried my first live acknowledgement to country um, in Gold Coast last year, but I was nervous about doing it because I thought, oh my God, my goodness, am I going to mess this up? It was an interesting experience, Lizzie. Like it, when I did it, I honestly felt this shift of energy that I I haven't felt before. And I Aww. think it's probably the past elders instilling a bit of guidance into the session. So <laughs> That's so lovely. But that's the yeah. thing, right? You come into it with a good intention. The point is if you stuff up, we stuff up all the time. Mm. You say sorry and you, and you fix it. You know, that's, that's um, good for you for being brave and getting into it. And it's awesome that you felt that energy. And it is. It's a moment of connection. It's a moment of acknowledgement. And it's a time to ground yourself. But, it's a really powerful experience if you put the energy into it. So good on you for taking the time to get it right. Oh, my God, this, <laughs> this Singaporean just, you know. <laughs> Mate, we're all visitors. all visitors. Okay. Um, I want to turn to you. You are a very significant woman in a lot of people's lives. What, what are some experiences you can share about your own journey? Well, I have to tell you, this is the first year that someone has actively discriminated against me to my face. Now, I'll, I'll say that in the sense of I'm sure I've been discriminated against before. I'm yeah. sure I have been excluded from opportunities, not invited to events, okay. uh, not given speaking gigs, not offered board roles, all these sort of things in the background and not to my face. I'm sure most women, that we know that that's happening behind closed doors somewhere because I'm I'm known for things like this, being quite yeah. opinionated. <laughs> but I've had the, the really unfortunate experience of actually being discriminated against to my face and having to really fight to get my rights mm. heard. So I'll give a bit of an explanation. But before I do that, I just there's a few things that have come out of this experience. One is hats off to everyone who's dealt with this and just <laughs> carried on. Because I tell you, the times when I have been thinking about this, I've lost days, mm. you know, worrying, stressing, being anxious, feeling like out, absolute outrage at the way I've been treated. And then during those days, I have not been a good parent. I have not worked hard on my business. You know, it has cost me a lot of personal time. And I think everybody that goes through that, that manages to come through and heal, I've just got my my hats off to you for coping with that stuff. And just a, a renewed acknowledgement that the emotional toll we take on people when we force them to fight for their own rights when they're being wronged, it's really unfair. <laughs> That's where I kind of feel like with the voice as well. It's like if we make Aboriginal people fight the fight by themselves, it's almost unfair. You know, it's, we've all got to be in there saying, championing it to take some of that load, you know. So I think I've, I've sort of noticed that. And, and I guess that, that that's really stood out to me from having personally gone through it. But so just to explain what happened, I've been a mentor on an accelerator for one week a year for the last couple of years. And in 2021, I was one of three female mentors out of nine, so mm. one third. Last year, I was one female mentor out of nine, so okay. it had dropped significantly. And at our first all-hands meeting, I brought that up in front of all the other male mentors and the two men running the program and the female administrators and said, look, I guess I'm going to have to be the one who brings it up. I'm the only woman this year. This is not okay. What's going on? The immediate response was, first of all, a joke. So one of the male leads said, oh, well, that's so-and-so's problem and she's a woman, so it must be okay, ha, 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 to general laughter. So that was my first, like, are you joking? And of course, my deadpan response is, no, you don't foist this onto the highest-paid woman in the team. This is your problem. You're the leader. So the other leader in the room said, I'll look into it. That was it. And I was like, okay, fine. Um, and then another one of the 
one of my peers made a joke at my expense, which was, oh, you're assuming my pronouns. So I had this experience in this meeting of being the only female in that role with no one sticking up for me, no one like behaving like an ally in an outward way, being joked at by two of them and no one intervening. It was really unpleasant. Two days later, the one of the male lead who said he'd look into it came back to me and said, oh, I've looked into it. We asked 12 women and they said, no, end of story. I was like, oh. so they asked me six weeks out. This is a job that has you there till 10 o'clock at night, six nights a week. Yeah. It needs time of planning. They were asking women, I learned later, a week beforehand. I was like, that's not good enough, but I'm just going to knuckle down and get the job done. So just knuckle down and get the job done. And the following week, so we finished on Friday night, following week on Monday, I was like, I've got to say something about it. So I wrote this email and I recorded a video. It's five minutes long in which I say, look, here's all the reasons why this is so important, why we have to have female representation here. I quoted those stats yeah. on poor VC funding and discrimination and uh, and explained how it felt to not have anyone be an ally for me and to crack jokes and say, look, guys, please don't do this in future. You know, you can speak up for me. I give you permission and, you know, please take it seriously next time. And I got a variety of responses and some of them were great from my fellow mentors, but two that came from the team at the institution I was at just were just ridiculous. One was your feedback is uncalled for. Then oh. the same email that they said your feedback's uncalled for, they asked me to nominate more female mentors as if I'm going to send more female mentors into an environment where me giving very legitimate feedback is uncalled for. So that was one. And then the second one, also from a member of the institution, was I acknowledge responsibility for this, but I think it's disappointing, Lacey, that you have only focused on female diversity and not diversity of other kinds like disability, and here's all the stats where we've done better elsewhere in the program. So as we know, whenever everything before the but is negated, right? Yes. Because that's what you really mean. So at that point, I was like, I'm really unhappy with this response. I want to escalate it. I escalated it. There was an investigation and the investigation found in my favour. First of all, they had breached their own policy, which was to have one third females. So they had breached the policy and failed to escalate it. So that's first of all. So they actually done the wrong thing. But when I pointed it out, they they got up in arms about me. The second thing was it found unprofessional conduct for the jokes, for the emails. Yes. Very fair. So then three months goes by. I've heard nothing from those people. No one's apologised to me. Nothing. And in mid-January, I get a phone call from one of my peers in the group who says, oh, have you seen that email from so-and-so proposing this crazy solution? How poor, this? What do you think of this solution? Mm-hmm. I said, oh, I didn't get that email. Okay. And he was, first of all, very embarrassed and went, oh, did you? That's awkward. And um, so later I dug into it and it turned out that the one who had told me they were disappointed had sent an email to all eight male mentors and not me by blind carbon copy, offering them the job again this year. Okay. Um, thanking them for their input and making the program amazing and giving them a pay rise and asking them about a solution that he had proposed to fix the female representation, which was a terrible solution. It was basically pairing senior male mentors with female equivalent junior mentors like a development role, as if they couldn't find eight women or nine women to do the role outright. So it turned out that he had basically, that's that's when it became discrimination. He's He's in retaliation, not giving me the opportunity for the job. I haven't had a thank you. I haven't had an apology or anything like that. So at that point, I escalated further again. And the thing I've really struggled with is the first meeting I had with the person who did the first investigation, who was a woman. She said, I've talked to this man and it wasn't ill-intended, Lacey. It was a misstep. And my jaw hit the ground. Like, no, this is discrimination. You've excluded me from a job opportunity in retaliation that is not a misstep and intent actually doesn't matter in that mm. case. It's the act that matters. So I've had to fight quite hard. Um, the good news is, and, and the positive from this is, the people I've spoken to at that institution who, who weren't the key people who, who have you know effectively done wrong by me, that's how I think about it, um, they have been on the whole good. Apart from that discussion when they were like, oh, no, it's ill-intended, it was a misstep. Yeah. Apart from that, they've gone, yep, we get it, it's serious, we're treating it seriously, Um we understand the severity. We want to make this right. But during that process, there's been things like, oh, should we have mediation? And my point has been like, this is not a difference of values or opinions. This is someone has done the wrong thing by me and they're continuing to do the wrong thing. This is not mediation. Yes. I haven't done anything wrong. I've actually been quite, I, I think, generous in sharing my knowledge and sharing my opinion and, and quite professional in the way I've done it. So I've been, it's been very stressful for me. And we're talking about it's nearly six months. This, the end of this week, it'll be six months since this first started. Yeah. And so the emotional toll has been huge. I've been very upset by it. But it just reminds me that no one's immune and that you have to talk to a lot of people about these things to sometimes get action. But it comes at huge personal cost to the person who does it. And, you know, like we're talking about something in the scale of things fairly innocuous. When I posted it 
about this on social media before going to West Tech Fest. I said, uh, you know, in a, in a post about, hey, just everyone be conscious that it's tough for some women at the moment. The number of women who replied to me privately with stories, women who've been, they've had people that have sexually harassed them at work and they've been forced out of the organisation. The women, yep. not the men. The men have been promoted. Um, women who've been harassed to the point where they've closed down their businesses and stepped out of ecosystems. Uh, just the just the general stuff. So many people replied with, oh, this is so triggering for me because it still happens. Yeah. It happens because people stay silent on it, and I think that's been the hardest part. People who I have thought of as allies have not stood up for me, yeah. have not intervened, have not even tried to speak to me about it, which I is just so upsetting to know that they don't have your back. And I guess that's that's really sad. But out of that, there's been some great stuff. So, for example, one of my peers, Andrew, was has just been instantly like a textbook ally. You know, as soon as I, uh, you know, I emailed to ask him about this email, did you receive it, this blind carbon copy email, and explain what had happened, and he was like, wow, this is, this is not okay. Yeah. How can I help you, Lacey? What support do you need? And he's yeah. checked in with me periodically to see how I'm going and see yeah. if there's anything else to progress it. And that, that has just been such a balm to know that someone gets it and I don't have to defend myself to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's been really good. And then after that post, I had one VC come up to me at a West Tech Fest event and go, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry to hear about this. What can I do? Yeah. You know, like I, it's just so sad. It's and, and so having a talk with him, he was like, yep, I'll do this particular thing. I asked him, which is, can you be the one who speaks up next time? Because it has more weight coming yes. from you. So, you know, we talked about it's everybody's problem. Hmm. I would be very happy when all the International Women's Day events are 80% attended by men. Yes. <laughs> so that they feel equipped to speak up on it. And um, the other thing I think that's really exciting about that is that particular VC is starting uh, WA's first early stage venture capital fund with his wife, and uh, they have an excellent track record of funding for female founders. So I'm really excited to see that kind of stuff. So there's been some good things come out of it. I've just been surprised at how hard I've had to fight um, to get my rights recognised in the discrimination bit. It's just been, that's been really surprising for me. But, yeah, I guess that's me. This has been kind of cathartic for me to vent this out. The man who, who has been the, the main problem, the one who's discriminating against me, I think has turned a corner. So I haven't seen it personally because I still haven't had an apology. I still haven't had a phone call, an email, a text message, nothing. Yeah. Um, but I'm assured that he is deeply remorseful uh, and, I will, and I should expect an apology at some point. So um, the idea that that one person who just completely did not acknowledge that he'd done anything wrong, uh, that just didn't see that the way he'd approached it was a problem, that that now might understand that what he's done has caused harm and can't be continued. Like that's that's a small personal battle that I think has the potential to have positive influence for the hundreds of entrepreneurs who go through this program. So I hope that that those little bits add up. That's what I hope for. All these little conversations. But it's I just want to emphasize to anyone who's listening that the personal cost to people who do this is high. I am now labeled as a troublemaker. There will be people who are avoiding me who don't want me on their panels and that sort of stuff because they're worried that they'll misstep. Uh then look, my approach in this is if it's an actual misstep, it's the same as I mentioned before. If you get it wrong, yeah, and you acknowledge it and you listen. So you approach it with curiosity and you seek to understand instead of cracking jokes or fobbing off or yeah. blame shifting, then you'll never have a problem with me. You'll have a friend for life. I will I will engage. I will help you understand. If you violate my human rights by discriminating against me, that's the only time you're going to have a problem. And I guess that's where I've really been upset, even by well-meaning friends. When I've told them the story, they've said, wow, remind me not to piss you off, Lacey. And I've been like, this is not me pissed off. I get pissed off. I'm mean, going to have debates and arguments. This is someone violating my human rights. Yeah. Don't don't lump me as a troublemaker and a problem child because I actually stood up for a human right, not something trivial. But the repercussions are still there. It's mm. just in a more sophisticated organisation, I would have just been labelled a troublemaker and quietly, you know, sidelined. That that's what would have happened. So I guess it's kind of nice that it's out in the open. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but there are plenty of other people who, that when they stand up for something as basic as their human rights, um, suffer for it. And so I would encourage people just to keep that in mind when they're judging what happens. So there you go. Thank you for letting me vent. Um, and for anyone who is really curious now, they all know the full story. <laughs> yeah. It's important for you to share that because it's still happening, right? Like, you know, I've, I've shared with you privately that I've had my own challenges uh the last 18 months and you know part of me that gets frustrated is like if it's happening to me and I'm well supported and I'm fairly outspoken and I'm strong and it's having first of all is 
I was upset that I was actually feeling so run down from the fight. Um, and the second thing was like, what about women who are not in a similar position for me? If this is still happening right now, um, and and it was exhausting. I, I can acknowledge that it, it did impact my health. Uh, my health went backwards, um, and I've had to learn to really um, take a pause, like in part of my studies, stuff like that, and really reach out to the people around me um, to to explain that I needed more time to heal out of it. You know, the fact that, you see, I'm shocked that it would happen to you. I just assume that, you know, that no one would mess with you, Lacey. But um, I think it's, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, it's happening yeah. now. It's happening to yeah. us. And that's why I've got very little patience in the financial advice industry when people ask the question, why aren't there more women in advice? I'm just like, maybe talk about the real reasons as to how they're treated in their work time you know so I'm like don't let's not let's not go and talk about oh yeah we want to do this no I, I want to see action because the reality speaks otherwise so I definitely appreciate you you know sharing that because you are invoking change with your actions even though at the incredible cost of yourself um and and I just really really am grateful that you know you're open enough to share it here thank you so much oh, thanks Dawn and that's the thing I think we've talked about this before I have the the benefit of financial security Yep. stable household, safe and loved. If I can't stand up, yeah, you know, like, and it is a, a personal cost to me, but if I can't do it, imagine that, like you say, there are other people who are suffering yeah. with yeah. that. So, so I, I feel, you know, it's a, it's a privilege, but also an obligation to stand up when these things happen because it's the only way we're going to get change. Yeah. But yeah, I think about people like you who've got, who then like those periods where you are run down and you're not able to contribute to your ultimate value. It's really yeah. Really sad. I saw a good phrase. I can't remember if I've told it to you before, so stop me if I have. But um, the way I framed it to a few people, and, I, and this, you can think about this with the voice as well, yeah. is, look, if you haven't achieved equality, you're actually withholding it. Yeah. We have this view of giving equality is this gift, but actually if you haven't given it, you've withheld it. Mm. And so I think if, if more people, and I know that that's, we talk about you get more bees with honey, right? <laughs> so if we dangle it as, oh, you're a good person, you've done this amazing thing, ah, oh, hurrah, then um, then that comes across as this really, you know, oh, we can all feel warm and fuzzy. I know it's not the warm and fuzzy version, but my point to anyone who hasn't achieved it is you're currently withholding it if you haven't mm. achieved it. You know, we're 50% of the population, we should be 50% everywhere. So I, I hope it's enough to change a few points of view. <laughs> As, as always, Lacey, it is a treat to have you on. And I'm so admire your brain and your heart and the way that works and, and how much it benefits the community. I really am looking forward to how we're going to reassess the next 12 months, given, <laughs> given the journey from last year. I'm almost scared to think about what might happen in 12 months' time. Um, <laughs> Maybe we'll be amazed, on. Maybe it'll be incredible. Maybe there'll be a complete <laughs> revolution. Yeah. Um, I, I mean... I think of it as the pendulum. I hope the pendulum pushes back a bit more towards more equality than it has been. And I am optimistic that that will be the case. But my realistic side of me thinks we're just going to have to keep pushing really hard if that's what we want. We can't take our foot off the gas, unfortunately. Thank you for being our advocate. And we're just so pleased that we can do this episode with you again, Lacey. Thanks so much for having me, Dawn. It's been a delight. Subscribe now to be notified of new episodes. Let's change how the story ends. The information discussed in this episode includes strategies that are general in nature. As everyone's situation is different and the information discussed does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs, you should always seek personal advice in regards to your own personal circumstances.